American Tobacco Historic District in downtown Durham. This is Due South on WUNC. I'm Leonida Inge. Mother-son music duo Nina and Pierce Freelon are riding a Grammy nomination wave. This year, they'll be back at the Grammys for their joint album, Ancestors, up for Best Children's Album. What's exciting for me about this particular nomination is it's he and I on the same record. This just doesn't happen every day. No, it doesn't. <laughs> I bring a message of love. There are a lot of hungry people out there, and there's also a lot of food going to waste. A tech startup out of Atlanta is working to bridge the gap between the two. We'll talk to the founder of Gooder. But first, in North Carolina, about 1.2 million people are experiencing food insecurity. Nearly 400,000 of those individuals are children. That's one in six children facing hunger. The North Carolina Department of Health and Human Services is committed to dropping the state's food insecurity rate by the end of the year. And one way to do that is by connecting more families to WIC, the Special Supplemental Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children. Here to talk more about this strategy is Mary Ann Burkhardt, Assistant Director of the Division of Child and Family Well-Being and the State Director of WIC. Marianne, welcome to Do South. Thank you so much for having me. You know, I want to start with some basic information about what WIC is. Like, what does it cover and how can families access it? The program provides nutrition assessment and care planning, supplemental foods that are very specific um, and tied scientifically back to a need in the population. There is... Um, we provide healthcare referrals, and it's kind of evolved from just healthcare to include um, any of the socioeconomic or the social determinants of health and nutrition education. That's the the big part, um, and the biggest part is breastfeeding promotion and support. Mm. Well, I was surprised pleasantly to learn that WIC is fifty years old this year, and one of the oldest programs in the country actually was in North Carolina. Did you say Forsyth County? Yes. Forsyth County had our first WIC clinic back in 1974. Mm. And back then, I mean, are there still WIC clinics all over this state? Um, I know we have 100 counties. We have 100 counties and all 100 counties are served by WIC. And we achieve that through 85, what we refer to as local agencies. So it may be a health department, a health district, or in some instances, it's a um, health care center. Like um, Durham services are provided by Lincoln Community Health Center. So how are the benefits really delivered to people? We like to think, okay, historically, you know, there used to be these like paper vouchers, mm -hmm. you know, that whole process. But now we know benefits can be accessed electronically. So that's right. how are people getting this help? So we um, made the full transition to um, the electronic benefits in May of 2018. And um, we are what's referred to as an online state. So we are the person doesn't have to be present with their card to have the benefits loaded. Participants have uh, 30 days to use their WIC benefits. They do expire at the end of that period. 
When I think of Wick, you know, I guess a long time ago, I used to think of people who were really just really down on their luck. There were families who, um, you know, just really had no other choice. But sometimes we think, you know, sometimes students may need this help. You know, they're trying to find jobs or maybe they had a job and they were laid off. But maybe you can describe, you know, in North Carolina, um, who's on WIC? Right now, we have 265,000, 265,000 people enrolled in WIC. Is that children and It is, women and children, yes. And I'm so glad that you asked that because there are a lot of misconceptions about who WIC is for. And I think one of the areas that we miss is uh, the working folks that have you know, might need that little extra to help them, you know, and some people say, oh, I don't want to get it because I'll take it from, from someone else. else. Yes. That is um, often not the case. It's important that everybody checks to see. If you think you might be eligible, please do check. There is a, um, on the DHHS website at um, Nutrition and WIC, there is a uh, you access to the USDA like a set pre-assessment tool that can kind of say if you answer the questions, they'll tell you you may be eligible for WIC. And then there's a link to our online referral form. We, on average, were getting about 495 uh, referrals through the online. And that's not including ones that go directly to their local WIC uh, clinic. And you mean 400 a, a day? A week. A week, okay. 400, 400. Pre-COVID, we got 70 a week. Wow. 495 is the average. Last week, we received 670. What is going on? Exactly. People are thinking about all of the resources that are out there, so that's a good thing. Keeping up with it is um, what, we're, what we're trying to accomplish at this point. So... What when you apply for WIC, it's not an online application. We um, do the nutrition assessment, talk with the family about what their nutrition care goals are, help them with that, provide education on that topic, and then um, issue the benefits. You know, we just spoke about the number of people that you serve in North Carolina now, like what almost two hundred sixty thousand. Mm-hmm. So I wonder. How many more people, do you have any idea how many more people need service and probably aren't even seeking it? We are in the process of completing an analysis of a pilot project that we did with some cross-program enrollment, uh, partnering with our um, SNAP or Food and Nutrition Service and Medicaid to see who might be enrolled in SNAP and or Medicaid who appears to be eligible based on the information those two programs gather, who appear to be eligible for WIC but are not currently participating. The last time we did that was October data, and that is um, 176,000. Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, we could, the numbers could be so much higher. So, there's at least more than 50% more people um, who are not accessing these benefits that that really need them. That's right. You do have to meet four criteria in order to be um, eligible for services. You have to be a North Carolina resident, you have to be categorically eligible. So, a woman, a pregnant woman, a postpartum woman, or a woman who's breastfeeding an infant under one. And the um, and 
an infant or a child up to the, their fifth birthday. And you have to have meet the income qualifications. And there's guidelines published by USDA. Our guidelines are 185% of the federal poverty level. And those numbers do go up July 1st every year at the latest. So folks that might not be eligible in May should check back in the summer because they may be eligible. And then the last piece, which makes us different and why we're special, is the nutrition part. They have to have a nutrition risk. So they are seen by someone with expertise in um, life cycle nutrition and um, look at their weight and length or height um, and talk about, you know, how do you eat? How, when do you have family meals? What, you know, do you have any challenges in feeding your toddler? And um, come up with that nutrition care plan. Big emphasis on cooking because a lot of folks are moms and dads now. A lot of them haven't cooked. Um, so we had a series of, um, we call them mini lessons to go through that. And we actually were fortunate enough to have some little cooking kits with like a measuring cup and a um, cutting board. And so many of the children, families receive that. And the kit just helps to reinforce that because we can talk to a family all day long about, you know, here's this recipe, but if they don't have a measuring cup, they're not going to be able to, to, to make it. So it's like a non-starter, right? It's, and sometimes they're not really open with saying, I'd love to, but we don't have measuring cups. I wouldn't know how to do this. And so it's not always the food. There's always more to it. Well, you know, there's been some national reporting on a decrease in the number of stores that accept WIC. And is that true for North Carolina? Um, I think farmer's markets even accept WIC here. Farmer's Market is a, a different program. Mm -hmm. um, there's two versions of it. There's a WIC Farmer's Market, and there's actually a Seniors Farmer's Market that's administered through um, the Division of um, Aging and Adult Services in DHHS. Our WIC Farmer's Market is seasonal, and it's limited availability. We were only in, I think, 25 local agencies of our 85 last year. Um, the way we could expand the program to more counties <laughs> is by increasing the redemption. We have over 1,600 approved vendors, WIC approved vendors in North Carolina. So there's at least one in every county with the exception of Hyde County. Well, that's definitely good to know. And, um, you know, good luck on trying to bridge the gap <laughs> yes. and making sure that more people across the state of North Carolina um, know where they can get benefits, especially, you know, when they need them. Yes. Thank you. Well, Mary Ann Burghardt, thank you so much for being with us today. Mary Ann Burghardt is Assistant Director of the Division of Child and Family Wellbeing and the State Director of WIC. Thank you very much. Thank you. Next up, we'll hear from the founder of Gooder, whose innovative startup is reducing food waste while feeding the hungry. You're listening to Do South. This is Do South. I'm Leonita Inge. 
I have some numbers for you. Every year, the United States discards more food than any other country in the world. Nearly 60 million tons are 120 billion pounds. That's estimated to be almost 40% of the entire U.S. food supply and equates to 325 pounds of waste per person. One Atlanta-based social entrepreneur has found innovative ways to connect more people in need to that surplus food before it's discarded. Her startup, Gooder, is a food waste management company that connects those in need with leftover food and resources from restaurants and businesses. Jasmine Crow Houston, founder and CEO of Gooder, joins us now. Jasmine, welcome to Do South. Thank you so much for having me. Well, you started Gooder in 2017, but before that, you were actually feeding people out of your home? I was cooking out of my home and feeding people that were living unhoused um, on the streets of downtown Atlanta, but certainly took that work to other cities as well, uh, like Washington, D.C., New Orleans, Charlotte, Baltimore, um, and others. So when did you know that you needed to, like, scale your operation? Um, How did you know that an app was the best approach for you? Well, you know, a video of my work actually went viral in 2016. um, And I woke up one morning to just millions of views and comments and friend requests across Facebook. And one of the reoccurring questions that people kept asking me was, who donated this food? This is so amazing. Love what you're doing. I mean, the truth was nobody. I was couponing. I was price matching. I was cooking all this food myself. And so I started to think I should get this food donated. Like I should be able to get food donated to give to people that are going hungry. And so I went to Google, like I'm sure so many people do. And I simply Googled what happens to extra food at the end of the night from restaurants and businesses. And I believed I would probably find some kind of checklist with these are all the restaurants that donate. These are all the places you can go. And instead, what I found was myself actually in a really deep rabbit hole about food waste. And I just couldn't believe how much food was going to waste while at the same time, these millions of people in our country were going hungry. And around the world, those numbers were even greater. And at the same time, you were starting to see the emergence of the food delivery apps. They they had been around for some time, but they were getting a lot more popular. And that's when I thought there could potentially be something that works in reverse and we can get food to people in need. And that's kind of, I think, what got me started. Good move. No, I'm not trying to say because you call your company Gooder. <laughs> Is that why you call it Gooder? I'm like, that was a, that yeah, was a good... It was like good food. Yeah, good, good move, food. good food. Um, uh, and uh, definitely um, a great startup. I know the Gooder app has been compared to DoorDash um, or Lyft because it connects users with a delivery service. But could you just kind of walk through for our listeners, you know, how your app actually works? Yeah, for sure. Um, so essentially, we like your Uber Eats or whomever you may use. Uh, we inventory everything it is that a business sells. We make it really easy those businesses to request pickups in real time. So they're essentially clicking the items that they have to donate, requesting a pickup. We connect them with a driver. Uh, We get that food picked at local nonprofit, usually in a very close proximity 
to where that business exists, uh, to make sure that the business is really giving back in their own backyard, if you will. Um, we also calculate all of the tax data around those said donations for our clients um, and also capture all of the donation letters. So whomever that food goes to, we're capturing um, what was donated, uh, how much, capturing the donation letters, uh, calculating the approximate weight value of those items as well at time of donation. So we really are kind of a data a driven company that's really trying to make sure that businesses aren't wasting food. So we see ourselves uh, one side data, one side impact, um, and it's all really in real time. You know, one important feature of the Gooder app is the blockchain component. It You know, it allows you to make sure that the food is actually reaching people who need it. And how does that work? It's really about chain of custody. It's important for our clients and as well as us to know where the food is at every single point. So when a client requests a pickup, when Gooder gets that food actually picked up and then delivered, who had the food at each period in the food cycle? So that's really what we're tracking. Which nonprofit received it, who the driver was, who entered the the donation. Um, also, we don't allow the, the items to be changed. And that's really important, um, kind of locking it in, right? And why that is important is you don't want someone to say, hey, the day that we donated 20 pizzas, let's go back and change it and say that we donated 500 pizzas so that we can claim a greater tax deduction. You still have to have somebody sign off on, on that food donation. And that's what what, what we really facilitate. I wonder um, if you have a comment. When you see these numbers growing and the need growing, but then we hear reports um, on a monthly basis and a quarterly basis that the unemployment rate is the lowest ever, you know, that people seem to be working and doing fine to the point where, you know, do they even need jobs? And I, I just wonder, I see this this going on. in both. So we hear about the need and definitely the need for food, especially now and the price of food going up. But then, you know, there's this, um, you know, I don't know if it's a misconception that everybody has a job and people can afford this. I mean, I always am kind of shocked when I see those reports myself. Um, you know, even if people are working, the cost of food has definitely risen so much that I think the question that we then have to ask ourselves, are people making enough? Um, because that's the next thing, you know, the cost of food. I, I actually uh, did some, I guess, like shopping, just thought pricing recently. Um, I lived off of ramen noodles and, you know, not the best food even when I was in college. And I remember ramen noodles being like 10 cent. And I was in a store not that long ago, and I think they were, you know, on sale for three for a dollar. And I thought, wow, just everything is going up. Um, my daughter just started school for the first time and I was going and getting things for her lunch. Um, I later found out, of course, they can't take peanut butter, but peanut butter and jelly is her favorite thing. And so I was just getting everything that goes with peanut butter and jelly. And it was $11 for one loaf of bread that was $4. Um, the peanut butter, I think, was around $3. And the jelly was around $4. It was like $3.89. And so 
I just thought about that. Just there was a time when you could get jelly for one fifty, you could get peanut butter for a dollar, you can get bread for one fifty, and just seeing how much that is, that's what's changed. That has definitely changed. Well, I also would like to ask you, you know, how many businesses are participating in the Gooder app program? Um, and how many individuals or families, I guess, are you proud to say have been reached so far through Gooder? I mean, Gooder has provided millions of meals, so I'm, I definitely am proud of that. Um, we have, you know, thousands of businesses. And so some of those could be one company that has multiple locations that we're serving. Um, others could be like large scale corporate cafeterias that we work with. So we have customers like the Nike World Headquarters in Portland. Um, Capital One is a big customer of Gooders. We work with bakers like Beanbow Bakeries across the United States. Um, so we definitely are bringing on new businesses pretty often, you know, pretty often. And it and it does feel good that their need, the need is high and we definitely need to be doing more. But I do always try and make time to celebrate what we have done, especially because we started so small. Well, I know your company is based in Atlanta and you um, grew up, I guess, definitely through your middle and high school years in Charlotte, North Carolina. And I'd like to say you're an eagle. You went to North Carolina Central University. I am a proud, a very proud eagle. A proud eagle. That's based in, that's in Durham, North Carolina, I guess, where you were buying those ramen noodles for three, four (laughs) dollars. Oh, yeah, right at the food lion. Oh, yes. I am a North Carolina girl. Well, I wonder um, if you can kind of describe Gooder and what it's doing for folks in regions of the country, like especially the South. Yeah, I mean, we are we have 25 of our free in-school grocery stores as well. So we have a two-sided business model. One is around food waste solutions, which is kind of how I described our technology, picking up excess food, getting that delivered to nonprofits or getting that recycled. But we also have a component of our business, which is around hunger solutions. And that's where we build free grocery stores in school. Um, We use technology to power families registering and shopping. Um, We host pop-up grocery markets across the country. Uh, We have a mobile grocery store. Um, Right now we have one in Georgia, but we also have one that we'll be launching next month in Virginia. So we're doing, you know, so much innovative work specifically around hunger. Um, And that does really reach a lot of the Southeast. We are looking at bringing one of our gooder grocery stores actually to Durham, uh, to the campus in North Carolina Central. So we're having some early conversations with them. And it's it's my hope that we will see that uh, come to fruition before the end of the year. And I'm, I'm really excited about that. Well, I don't know if you saw all this movement when you first um, conceptualized Gooder, but you, I mean, I can't believe you've moved now from the app to actually um, stores. Oh, yeah. for I, I'm shocked, too. But I think, you know, that was a it was a, a symptom, I guess, of the pandemic. You know, when the pandemic hit, I realized pretty early on that I needed to go back to my roots of feeding people and that people are going to be in need and started thinking, like, what could I do? And that's really what birthed the first pop up grocery stores that we were hosting outside. And we were working with partners like. Uh, the Atlanta Hawks, which is an NBA team um, in Atlanta. We were working with State Farm. 
Wendy's, you know, you name it. We started working with them to address food insecurity uh, during the pandemic. And it just continued to grow and grow um, that it spanned even, you know, past the pandemic. And we grew and started thinking of more and more ways that we could serve people because the need was so great. Um, And it is still so great today. Um, We have, you know, we receive emails every single day. We, uh, during the pandemic, we were uh, one of the uh, largest contract holders uh, with the city of Atlanta, as well as uh, Fulton County, which is the county that Atlanta sits in, uh, to deliver meals to seniors that were sheltering in place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we still get calls from seniors every day that are like, hey, when are you guys going to start delivering again? So they miss us. And I always just, you know, I love to hear from them because it's, it's proof in the point that what we were doing really mattered and it mattered to them. And, you know, they miss us. Well, you know, at the top of the show, we did mention that nearly 60 billion tons of food waste um, is in, you know, is in America each year. And, you know, if we were to like break that down, you know, break down like the main sources of that waste, you know, where do you think it all comes from? It comes from a variety of places. I always tell people that. So it's not just restaurants and businesses. It is it is schools. Um, it is enterprise corporate cafeterias. It's grocery stores. Um, it's stadiums and arenas. There are, uh, when I say schools, not just colleges and universities, but elementary schools. I can't tell you um, how many students I talk to that that tell me about how much food waste that happens. Um, even in the school level, because so many students maybe get free breakfast and lunch and they have to prepare so many meals every day. And then what if the students don't show up? So you just you see a lot of that food happening, uh, food waste happening there. Similar to college colleges, you know, it's really hard to predict how many students are going to come through the cafeteria that day. Um, so there are just days where food naturally goes to waste. It, it happens no matter what. And I think that's the thing that has really kind of kept us in business. And a lot of people have said like, oh, well, what if, you know, there's no food waste or what if you <laughs> help people get so efficient really? with their business? <laughs> yeah, that there there just won't be waste. And, you know, I'm like, hey, I would love that. But the reality is there's always going to be food waste. I won't even tell you how much food I had to throw away, you know, just today. You know, I, I was holding on to those black eyed peas in that crock pot from the New oh, Year's, yeah. <laughs> I was just holding on, and I just, I was like, this is ridiculous. This is really, oh, yeah. and then really a lot wrong. of waste happens in the home. <laughs> yes. A lot of food waste happens in the home, and, and don't feel bad. I mean, even me, I'm the, I'm like, I hate to throw away food, and my husband is always just like, oh, you're, you're such a hoarder, and you'll keep on to everything, and I'm <laughs> like, yeah, but it's like, I definitely don't ever want to be the one throwing away food, so I always try and figure out, like, people that I could give food to, people that I know that need food that I can reach out to and just say, hey, are you guys hungry? And, you know, they'll they'll let me know. So I've, I've kept some families and people in, in need. But for certain, I was the same way. You know, I, I had collard greens and black eyed peas that I had made on on New Year's Eve. And I was, you know, I was like, gosh, but we also compost. So I'm Good. really into gardening. So I do a lot of composting and my husband will do a lot of our own composting. So that's one way we've been doing better. But another way I tell people just to also use your garbage disposal 
when you can. It's it's one of those things that will at least break down the food to where you're not putting it in the trash can and it's not going to landfill. So it's just a small thing that you can remember when you do have some food waste is to try and use your garbage disposal. You know, when we do think about, you know, this waste, unfortunately, and this issue, and we think about like the so-called face of hunger, you know, in the country, you know, we still sometimes kind of default to the unhoused, but really there are people struggling with food insecurity from all walks of life, right? Oh, 1,000%. I mean, I I got an email from a a young girl in seventh grade from Spokane, Washington uh, earlier this week, and her email said, for more than half my life, you know, I've had a wonder when and where my next meal was coming from. So they're, they're, the, the face of hunger looks really different than what I think a lot of people assume it does. And I know we have to leave soon, but as a, as a Black woman in tech, I, I wonder what pushback or challenges have you faced while developing and, and rolling out the Gooder app? Oh, so many. <laughs> I mean, so many. I think, um, you know, I, I was talking to investors even just early on and, and, you know, they would say like, oh, well, you know, hunger is already being solved or this is already, you know, being worked on. Or so often um, when you're talking to people that have never been hungry before, they don't quite understand, you know, what it is that you're trying to build. And I And I dealt with a lot of that. Um, specifically from the investor community, because their their experience with hunger, their lived experience with hunger was usually just volunteering at a local food bank in their community or, or donating around the holidays so that there wasn't really a lot of uh, true understanding of how I was addressing the situation. And it was different. And so I I have dealt with that for, for many years. Um, and I continue to but I also believe that uh, for someone that looks like me, I do need to be at the table. I do need to be having conversations because I come to the table and I talk about things like cultural relevancy, like not how you give people their dignity back when they're in their darkest hours, that we don't have to just put something in a box and tell somebody, hey, you're hungry, you should be happy, just enjoy this, and that I think about. Like, hey, these these people that are experiencing hunger right now, they feel terrible. Like they're really down on their luck and the shame that someone maybe has just to even have to go into a food bank or to come to even one of our pop-up grocery stores and have to get food for their families. There's got to be a better way to do it. And I think I always come to the table with, I'm going to do it that way. Um, and, and everybody doesn't think that way. And that's why I need to be... <laughs> at the table having these conversations and being that advocate. Well, like my mama always told me, you give people in need your best, not your worst. You know, you're left, you give yeah. them your best at all times. You know, Jasmine Crow Houston is the founder and the CEO of Gooder. Um, it's a food waste management company that connects those in need with leftover food and resources from restaurants and businesses. Thank you so much, Jasmine, for being here. Thank you so much. I appreciate you all for having me. In 2022, musicians Nina Freelon and Pierce Freelon became the first mother and son to be nominated for Grammys in the same year. They're up for another Grammy this year. More on their joint album, Ancestors, after the break. You're listening to Do South. 
You're listening to Due South on WUNC. I'm Leonita Inge. The Freelon surname is well known in North Carolina. Jazz musician Nina Freelon met her husband, Phil Freelon, here in Carborough over 40 years ago. The couple raised three remarkable children here, Dean, Maya, and Pierce. When Phil Freelon passed away in 2019, the loss was immense, both for the Freelon family and for the nation, who had witnessed the unveiling of one of Phil's most remarkable works as an architect, the Smithsonian's National Museum of African American Arts and Culture, and its opening in 2016. The Freelons are a family of artists, educators, and storytellers, and they turn to those considerable gifts during their time of loss. Nina Freelon and her youngest son, Pierce, are with me now to discuss their latest projects, a joint album called Ancestars, which is nominated for Best Children's Album at this year's Grammy Awards. And Durham Love Razor, their giant puppet show debuting at the Durham Performing Arts Center on Valentine's Day. Nina and Pierce, welcome to Do South. Thank you, Leonida. Thank you. Thank you. So good to be here. Wow. You know, congratulations, and it's definitely good to see you in person. But this is a big year. Congratulations on this um, this year's Grammy nominations, and it's the second time you've both been nominated in a single year. Yes. Yes, it's, um, it's the second time. Pierce has been moving in the children's music space so beautifully, so elegantly. And um, what's exciting for me about this particular nomination is it's he and I on the same record being nominated in the children's category is this just doesn't happen every day. No, it doesn't. <laughs> but that's how it should be, though. I, I, I mean, I think that's what, maybe that's what the Grammy nominating committee felt, you know, <laughs> needed to happen this time. And so yes. I'm feeling confident. Oh, thank you. That it's going to move, you know, for the win this time yes. around. Let's go, baby. <laughs> that would be so great. Mm-hmm. I'd love to bring some hardware Back to Durham. Oh, yes, Mm -hmm. yes, yes, yes. So in this joint nomination, you know, what made you all actually um, come together? You know, we've heard some great songs from Pierce and even one of his children actually before, but this time is mom and son. For me, the light bulb went off at the Grammys in 2022. Uh, Mom was nominated for her album, Time Traveler. My album, Black to the Future, was nominated in the children's category. Hers was in jazz. And uh, and we were asked to present. We were asked to be presenters. We were introduced by my <laughs> idol, LeVar Burton, which yes. was like a highlight of my life, kicking it with him backstage. And then me and mom got to go out there and hand awards to John Baptiste and Questlove and it was just such a, a magical experience, especially for me. Like I've grown up going to the Grammys as a kid, you know, like my mom's been nominated, you know, I get to go out of school. We're going to L.A. Woohoo! Like it was awesome. But to go as an adult, as her peer for the first time was such an honor. And at that ceremony, we were in Vegas um, and we were just talking about we had been talking for a while about collaborating. But that's when we were like, yo. I think the time is now, you know, to to get into the studio together, to start thinking about our ancestors, her mother, Queen Mother Frances Pierce, yes. my father, Phil Freelon, and the myriad of other ancestors, including my nephew, Wonderful, 
and um, you know, and to and to write some songs really celebrating the shoulders on which we stand. Mm, Ancestors is, I guess, in many ways, sort of like a continuation of a conversation that your family probably has been having about grief and loss. Yes, and um, since for the last several years. I guess um, in many ways, people hear the final and they think, wow, that's great. But you've been processing pieces together (laughs) and processing this for a while. Yes. First of all, I just want to say that it's um, it's such a blessing to raise to have raised children. And I can't say I did this by myself. Phil was a partner 120 percent to raise children that you that you like. It's oh, yeah. the gift that keeps on giving. I know. I know you Pierce know this. Appreciates that. I'll take it. You know, um, and then to create in this in a in a space of music with your child is something rare and precious. So I don't take that for granted. But we have, as a family, been processing our grief through creativity. Uh, there are lots of books out there about grief. Lots of this is how you do it. But nobody suggests that you dive into your creative practice, whatever that is, if it's music, if it's poetry, if it's, you know, I don't know, model making. No one suggests that your grief is an appropriate place to um, kind of dig in that garden. And what lives after you have physically gone? That's, That's, I think, a question that courses through our work, and mm-hmm. I think opening it up for children mm. who 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 come here curious. You know, they're born curious, and we don't always tell them the truth about what happens because we don't. Maybe because we don't know. You know Big Mama went up to in the sky. Mm-hmm. Yes, you'll see yeah. her again one She's day. She's sleeping. Mm-hmm. She's sleeping, and then. You know, you wonder why kids don't want to go to sleep at night. <laughs> you know, they don't want to disappear like Big Mama. So, so just acknowledging that, you know what? That's a great question. Yeah. We don't know all the answers, mm-hmm. but let's let's talk about it. Mm-hmm. I know your um, podcast, Great Grief, which I really enjoyed, was one of like maybe the first creative projects um, that you took on after a major family yes. loss. Yes. And um, I kind of wonder, what did you take from that process? You have parlayed that into bringing in younger listeners in a way when you put this album together? Well, I, I actually see great grief as a storytelling platform. And let me tell you who needs the story. Bedtime story. Grown <laughs> folk. There's one yes. thing that's very hard to come by in early grief, and that's sleep. You can't sleep. And so it's it's basically storytelling, and everybody loves a good story. Mm-hmm. So I'm both singing and telling stories on great grief, and we're doing the same thing with Ancestors. We're telling creative stories that tie in nature, yep. that tie in mushrooms, <laughs> that tie in um, when you need a break and you need help, asking for help, all mm-hmm. of these things when you put them in the context of music, they are—they um, just shine in a different way, don't you think, Pierce? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, it's a beautiful uh, medium in which to explore loss and love. And I know, Pierce, you've also produced music and writing projects that have explored loss and grief, but also joy. 
Yeah. Yes. Joy in the past, you know, several years. Yeah. Well, I mean, what is grief? But what is what is grief? But an extension of love, right? Mm -hmm. Like the there's a song on the album called "You Know You Live in My Memories," and you know that song talks about Durham. It talks about you know going to Durham Bulls baseball games with him. Last night we kicked it in my dream. At a Durham Bulls baseball game, my favorite team. And I woke up in the middle of the night one day thinking about the baseball fireworks. If anyone's ever been to a Durham Bulls game, you remember those fireworks. And that lyric was was in my head and it kind of came through song. So I think of, you know, mom and I definitely wrote this album, but there were ancestors <laughs> actively involved in the composing of lyrics, That's melody, true. music. Like it was a collaborative experience. And um, sharing that love and that joy is a way to celebrate the life that, um, you know, you cherish so much. Well, I'm speaking with Nina and Pierce Freelon, um, artists, definitely musicians. And we're talking about um, their joint album called Ancest Stars, which is nominated for Best Children's Album at this year's Grammy Awards. Well, let's talk about Ancest Stars, okay. the title track. What's the story behind that? You wanna hear sure, yeah. Uh, ancestors. Well, uh, mom is playing the role of an ancestor, speaking to their, um, you know, to their progeny, their their children, grandchildren. I bring a message of love. Children notice what you don't say. Not just what you do say. They notice if you veer around in a conversation and don't mention the dearly departed, you're actually teaching them that it's not okay. That it's that it not okay. Or that it's bad or scary, scary. or something. Yeah. And I have to say that working with Pierce on this project really did stretch me. There were some things, some tunes that I was like, man, I don't know about this song. And he... He didn't fold. He was like, Ma, I have a different perspective. Have you thought about this? So trust was built. Mm. Um, and even after we decided on the final tunes, I still had my questions. But I was willing to trust that he knew some things that I didn't know. I love the playfulness in the album. And I'm thinking specifically about the songs, you know, Cry a Rainbow and Little Mushroom. Do you consider it important to meet sadness with a playful kind of energy? I think um, sadness um, is like a cloud. We, we don't move in and stay there always. It's something that passes by, but we acknowledge it when it's there, not to pretend that it isn't there. So when our kids were little and they would cry about, as my grandma would say, little or nothing, I would say, oh, oh. You better stop those tears. My goodness. When something really big happens, there may not be any left. And, you know, when, when somebody had a little boo-boo, we say, oh, what color of those tears? They're blue. And that takes the mind off the hurt. And uh, then they'll touch their finger to their face. What color are your tears? 
Oh, they're purple. Oh, I love them. They're gorgeous. Have you have you got any more? You know, just being. I think I was a playful mother. Was I? Was I? Uh, at times. <laughs> <laughs> at times. <laughs> well, this summer, you partnered with Paper Hand Puppet Intervention for a show called "Where Our Spirits Reside." Mm-hmm. And the show is staged in Chapel Hill and in Raleigh. Now, an indoor. Adaptation will be held at DPAC on Valentine's Day. I'm really excited about that. You have to tell me why you chose Valentine's Day, but um, what can we expect from that show? Uh, Well, we're calling it a love raiser. Mm. Some people do fundraisers. We do a love raiser. The show really is a special show. Where Our Spirits Reside contains memory, love, joy, respect for the planet, all of these wonderful things. And collaborating with Paper Hand Puppet Intervention has been wow. such a powerful experience for both Pierce and I, very spiritual. Mm-hmm. And it grew me in ways that were quite unexpected. I, yeah. I've never shared the stage with giant puppets and still walkers <laughs> and and been in, a, in, a, in an environment, an outside environment that was so spiritual, yeah. really so magical. And the cast, everybody. Yeah, and I mean, the ritual and thoughtfulness behind the scenes. We had an altar backstage with all of the cast members, ancestors on the altar. Wow. Uh, we invited the audience to bring photos and write letters to their ancestors on the altar. And this was a 27-show run. So by the end of the summer, there were so many notes that people had left from from dozens of shows that we had to hang them from strings from the trees from the trees yeah and, and i i got the sense that people have been waiting for permission to just say um i welcome you my ancestor whoever that is pierce would say you may say it aloud or in your heart the name of an ancestor that you would like to invite into this space before we began the show. Mm-hmm. And so it's on that tip that we bring the show to Durham. We're going to collaborate, give a one-night-only expression of love. It'll benefit North Star Church of the Arts uh, our and Paperhand, our 501c3 um, nonprofit. More than that, there are a lot of people in Durham who have never been inside DPEC. I know. And so the ticket prices are such that folk, it's it's affordable. And if it isn't, we actually have some sponsors who are supporting our, um, you know, our community by saying, if you want to come and you can't afford a ticket, let us know. And we will make sure that you and your family. Now it's Valentine's Day. You know, it's a, it's a particular kind of made-up holiday, really, I think. Everybody doesn't have a boo. No. Everybody doesn't have a date. And Too bad for them and me, right? <laughs> well, all I want to say is <laughs> this is not about that. This is about agape love. This is about love for community. This is about love for the arts. Mm-hmm. This is about love for artists. Yeah, and and it's important for people to know every ticket sale is going to support artist residencies, poetry slams, um, art exhibits, concerts at North Star, which is a community space where we invite artists from all around Durham to come and, and call home. So it, it really is a, a love raiser and, and pouring money into Durham's creative community. And you mentioned paper hand puppets, you know. 
This is, the, is this the first big um, I think show for Paper Hand in yeah. Durham? Mm. It's, it's, it's the first big Paper Hand show. It's also the blackest Paper Hand show <laughs> in the history the of Paper Hand. I, I didn't want to say that. No, no, go ahead and say, say it. <laughs> say it. It is a. This is due south, right? Yes. We, don't, you know, we, we keep real we in here. We keep it real. We got to keep it real. And this is the thing. When children see themselves on stage in the faces of a puppet or the faces of, of artists, mm-hmm. this is an inspiration that can last a lifetime. Yeah. So we want to be about that yeah. for sure. And 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 also not just not just the there's the physical embodiment, you know, of, of of blackness through the paper mache that we see radiating through. There's also the words. It's really just a beautiful, powerful, wonderful show. Well, I'd like to thank you for that show. And also congratulate you again on your Grammy nomination. Thank you. Um, I guess everybody, I don't know if crossing fingers is good luck or not, but we're going to hope for the best um, there. And again, thank you so much, Nina and Pierce Freelon, for being in the studio today. And Ancestars, nominated for Best Children's Album at this year's Grammy Awards. Again, good luck. Thank, thank you. you. Do South comes to you from North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC. Our producers are Stacia Brown, Coldell Charco, and Rachel McCarthy. Denarius Thomas is our technical director. Aaron Kiever is our executive producer. Our theme music is by Quilla. Jeff Tabiri is my co-host, and I'm Leonida Inge. <laughs>